it was, well, while you were getting ready last night to go to bed and uh, probably retiring for the evening, a hundred, exactly 100 years earlier, there were close to 3,000 people who were in a life and death struggle. Uh, They were facing uh, the prospects of drowning in the North Atlantic. As you may or may not know, 100 years ago last night, the Titanic struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic and sank to the bottom of the ocean. In the, uh, well, from about 2.30 to 3 o'clock in the morning, there were 1,514 people who lost their lives because of that uh, tragedy. It's hard to think and hard to picture, and maybe sometimes maybe it's helpful to us to picture and envision maybe what we would do or how we would feel, at least, if we found ourselves in various situations in which people sometimes find themselves. I think Daniel um, prepared himself ahead when he was carried off into Babylon not to defile himself. And placing yourself in situations and playing them out and considering your state in life and what you may or may not do, um, those activities have some merit. And whenever I see a National Geographic special or some historical special about the Titanic, I'm always interested to watch because I often place my, what would I have felt like if I were on that ship? I mean, I'm not going to be getting in a lifeboat. So there's very little hope of my survival. And many of the people must have just come to a resignation that they're going to die. This is it. So what do you think about in those moments before you die? They hit the iceberg at around 11.30 or 11.15 at night. And it wasn't until like 2 o'clock in that area, 2.20, when things really started going bad. So they had about three hours to try to prepare themselves to get off the ship. But for some, or well, for most of the men, they had about three hours to contemplate their death. What I'd like for us to do this morning is to use the sinking of the Titanic because of its relevancy, a hundred year anniversary since the event. And I want to give some consideration to some things that maybe we ought to give thought to today. And I want to begin by just introducing you to three people who were on the Titanic. The first man, this picture is there on the screen, his name was Francis Brown. Francis Brown was born in 1880. And uh, he was, uh, he, he boarded the Titanic in London It was a gift given to him by one of his superiors where he worked. And uh, he said, here, I want you to ride on this this new ship and and take it up the coast of England to Southampton. And so that's what what he was planning to do. While on board, he boarded the ship on April the 10th. And while on board, he had supper with everybody. They had these you know, a nice dining area, and they sat down together, and people met each other, and he became good friends with some folks from America, wealthy folks from America. In fact, they thought so much of this man that they offered to pay his fare 
to go to New York and to look at New York. And uh, so he was excited about that. And he wired back to uh, his superior and he asked, he said, I've been offered this opportunity to go to New York, all expenses paid. Can I have a little more time off my job and away from my responsibilities so that I can take these folks up on this uh, very gracious offer? Well, his superior wired back and said, absolutely not. Very turt, just said, nope, your ride ends here, come back to work. And so very disappointed and very reluctantly, he got off the Titanic at Southampton just before it headed across the North Atlantic where it eventually hit the iceberg. Had it not been for his superior and had it not been for the orders to get off the ship, he no doubt would have been added to that number of individuals who lost their life on that ship. But he got off in time. That brings me to another man. And, and oh, by the way, what this Francis Brown was able to do is because he was one of the passengers who disembarked just before it headed off across the Atlantic, he was able to take some pictures of the Titanic, of the people on the Titanic, and all the other records were lost in the, the, the shipwreck. But uh, when you look at that and the mass of people that were lining up and getting on the Titanic and the people, the children, the, the women, they're, they're going about their daily life. But it was his record that gives us insights into some of the final hours of the lives of so many people. Then we've come to another man by the name of Jack Thayer III. Jack Thayer III was uh, 17 years old when he boarded the Titanic with his family, his mother and his father, and uh, his sisters. And they uh, headed off and were going to go across the, the uh, come back to the United States. And he was... Uh, he was awakened, he was getting ready for bed, and he felt a nudge that shook him as he was getting his pajamas on. And so instead of putting his pajamas on, he put his clothes back on and walked out to try to find out. He went up on the deck to try to find out what had happened. And there were only a few people on deck, he said. And as he looked over the side, he saw what had happened. And then from there, it just was a mass of chaos. The women trying to get in the lifeboats, trying to uh, put the lifeboats down and so forth. Jack Thayer um, survived the Titanic. He survived by jumping off. As I don't know if you remember, but the Titanic kind of broke in two, and the end of it just went almost straight up in the air and then went down. As it did that and was going down, he jumped from the ship and survived. He found a, an overturned life raft and uh, clung to it and was rescued uh, by some others. <coughs> but <clears throat> what's interesting about Jack Thayer is that, <clears throat> excuse me, he wrote a memoir of the events and uh, he shared that memoir with his family. And it isn't until, it wasn't until this month that that memoir was published for all of us to read. 
And he recounts, and as he had recounted for his family, the events that transpired that night, he tells it from a firsthand perspective. We see the panic and the fear of all the people that were on that ship. <clears throat> Let me read one quote from his memoir. He was talking about he and another friend had jumped off the boat together. <clears throat> he said, I never saw that man again. His body was later recovered. I'm afraid that a few seconds elapsed between our going meant the difference between being sucked into the deck below, as I believe he was, or pushed out by the backwash. He said, I was pushed out and then sucked down. The cold was terrific. The shock of the water took the breath out of my lungs. Down and down I went, spinning all directions, swimming as hard as I could to find direction Um, in the direction which I thought was away from the ship. I finally came up with my lungs bursting, but not having taken any water from uh, the ocean. The ship was in front of me, 40 yards away. How long I had been swimming underwater, I don't know, perhaps a minute or less, but after latching onto a lifeboat, I watched as the ship's passengers battled against the inevitable. We could see groups of almost 1,500 people still aboard, clinging in clusters of bunches like swarming bees, only to fall in masses and pairs or singly as the great after part of the ship, 250 feet of it, rose into the sky till it reached a 65 or 70 degree angle. So here's a man who decided, I'm going to jump. And he jumped when... Uh, the 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 uh, pull of the ocean, you know, or the suction of the ship pulled him down. You got it right when I got cleared. <laughs> Hopefully, thank you. <clears throat> and um, as he looked back, he saw all these people trying to hold on as that ship went straight up, and they began to fall in masses. And so that's what he witnessed. He was. Only one of 40 people who survived by jumping into the water. Only those on the lifeboats and only 40 others survived. He almost waited too long to get off the ship. And then one more person, Benjamin Guggenheim. He was a wealthy businessman in the uh, in America and... Um, He slept through the whole event. Some of his uh, entourage came and woke him and told him what was taking place. And he went up and saw the the situation. And he told his servants, let's go back down. Let's dress in the best clothes that we have. And let's meet death in the best way possible. He wrote a note and gave to one of the women who was a survivor. And it was a note to his wife. And it said this, tell my wife, if it should happen that my secretary and I both go down, tell her I played the game out straight to the end. No woman shall be left aboard this ship because Ben Guggenheim was a coward. The last he was seen, he was fully dressed in a suit and tie, and he was sitting on the steps uh, in the Titanic with his entourage around him. They waited too long. There was nothing more that they could do.
and they uh, died on that ship. But here's the point, and here's why I want to tell you about these three people, because I think they represent three kinds of people today. You see, we're all doomed. It's just a matter of time. Unless we get off and get away from sin. Now, some people get out of sin really early on, and they live the entire life, their entire life for Jesus. Some people wait almost till it's too late, and, and they risk their eternal destiny and escape by the skin of their teeth. And some people just resign themselves to it, and they face God the best they can, but unprepared. And I want to talk about, just for the next few minutes, some things that we need to do before it's too late. And the first thing is that we need to remember that there is a judgment that is coming. There will be a day when Jesus comes again, and we will have to give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, Second Corinthians chapter 5. There's a day when we will have to explain to Jesus why we made the choices we made in life. And if you don't get that fixed, because we're all sinners, we've all made the wrong choices. Romans 3, 23, Romans 3, 9 and 10, we've all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all made choices that have doomed our souls. And if we don't get away from those sins, when we have this inevitable meeting with Jesus, it's going to be too late. Jesus said that there will be people, John 8, who will die in their sins. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. I want to get away from my sins, get out of my sins, because I have an inevitable meeting with Jesus. I've wondered sometimes, you know, here's this uh, Francis Brown who got off the ship, didn't make the Atlantic voyage. If they would have known that on that journey they were going to collide with an iceberg and the ship was going to go down, I wonder how many of them would have stayed on the ship to make that journey. I wonder how many of them would have gotten off. I don't think there would be any, if few, if any, would have remained on that ship. We, we have better sense than that. We have better sense than that when it comes to our physical life. But take our spiritual life, our soul, an eternal destiny, an inevitable meeting with Jesus, our judge, and we take our chances. We don't get off. We don't get out. We remain in sin and hope to to take a leap right before our death or hope to take a leap right before he comes back. At some point before that time when we meet Jesus, we're, we're banking on it. But isn't that foolish? How foolish is that? We need to remember, and we need to, before it's too late, to remember that there is a judgment day coming, a meeting with Jesus. And in light of that, we need to, well... We need to get out of some things. Let me share just four things with you that we need to get out of, and then the lesson will be yours. We need to get out of bad relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 33 says, Evil company corrupts good morals. 
If I have friends that pull me down, that take me away from Jesus, if I have friends, when I get around them, my morals are lowered instead of raised. If I have friends that cause me, because of the pressure of that friendship, to do things that I know dishonor the name of Jesus, then I need to get out of those relationships. You remember in Second Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talked about some unequal yokes where people entered into relationships and, and it wasn't, you know, one's pulling the other one the wrong direction. And he said, boy, you, you don't need to be in those. There are more things important than your friendship with other people. There are people that need to get out of bad relationships. If you are not in the driver's seat in your relationships, if you can't control the direction that that relationship goes, whether it spirals towards sin or elevates toward God, then you need to get out of those relationships. Don't let a friend keep you in sin. Don't let a friend influence you to do wrong and then have to meet Jesus. Well, I did it because she wanted me to or he wanted me to or I... Listen, if you have friendships that are not, you're not in control of, you need to get out of them. That happens all the time. People think, especially, you know, when we're talking about young people and, and some of, they la- young people lack the experience that many of us older folks have. And, and we expect them to make responsible decisions without the advantage of the experience that we have. And it's often difficult, and so they make bad choices, and their friendships are sometimes not what they ought to be. But listen, we need to teach. We need to show them by example that nothing is worth, no friend is worth losing your soul over. Another thing we need to get out of is ourselves. Listen, have you ever met people that are so wrapped up in themselves? That's all they can see. It's all about themselves. They get, It's just about me. What are you going to do for me? How are you going to serve me? And it's never looking outside of themselves and serving or working for anybody else. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that was just read a moment ago said that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God made us to do good. And if I sit back and all I want is for people to do for me and I, I'm not living in the will of God, I'm not fulfilling my purpose as a human being if I'm not outside of myself. Listen, get out of yourself. It, it, when you think the world is caving in on you and too much trouble and too much weight to bear under, up under, usually we're not doing much for anybody else. It's a paradox, but it's the truth. If you want to lighten your load, pick up somebody else's and your load will be lightened. We need to get outside of ourselves. Don't just live for yourself. Look to the needs of others. We need to, before Jesus comes back, we need to, we need to get out of the church building. I love coming to church. It's one of the things I look forward to. I enjoy fellowship. I enjoy Bible study. I enjoy praising God. Those things, it, you don't have to say, hey, Steve, you've got to go to church today. You, I don't have to go. I, I get to go to church. But if all we do in our Christian life is summed up right here in this building, we're missing the mark. There's more 
to Christianity than just what takes place in this building. This is a time when we come together and we encourage each other and we corporately worship God and throw praises up His way. But listen, Christianity, that, that's Monday. Christianity is Tuesday. Christian, sometimes we talk about now, does he have a secular job or does he work for the church? I don't even know if I like that term secular job because it doesn't matter if you work at Ingalls or if you work as a preacher for some congregation of God's people, you should be working for the Lord. It, it doesn't matter what your job is. You need, to, you need to use your life to glorify God no matter where you are. And if all we do is give God glory when we come to this building and we leave here and we don't do anything, then we're, we've missed the boat, no pun intended. We, we need to get out of this building. We need to take them. Listen, if you think if all that we do is done right here, we're going to reach 350 people a week. If 350 people here will go out and reach people. You know how many people we're going to reach a week? That's the way to evangelize the world. Before we meet Jesus and give account of our stewardship to him, we need to get out of this building. And then finally, we need to get out of false religion. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 13 says that every tree or every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. There are a lot of people who claim to speak for Jesus, and well, we know good and well they don't, because they're not true to what the Bible says. It's not enough to just simply be religious. It's not enough to simply carry a Bible. We need to be Christians, followers of Jesus, committed to the truth. We need to have the right spirit, the right attitude. Our heart needs to be engaged in who we are and what we do. But in addition to that, we can't just be hyped up without truth. We have to have spirit and truth. John 4 and verse 24. I need to make sure that the religion, that, that my belief system is truly found in the Word of God and not the invention of a man or not the wishful thinkings of a man. There is an inevitable meeting coming. Someday we're going to meet our maker. As the Titanic had an inevitable meeting with that iceberg. And you know, there was a guy who got off early on and he was the safest. There was a guy who almost waited too long. He jumped in when he was about 15 feet out of the water as the ship was going down. He was only one of 40 people who survived, who jumped, actually jumped into the water. And then there were 1,500 others plus who never escaped, and they all died. Well, what I want us to consider today is where are you in this whole thing? We face an inevitable meeting with Jesus, and I'm telling you, you better get out while you can. Sin will destroy you. If you have sin in your life when Jesus comes back, you're, you're lost, you're doomed, there's no hope. I can't imagine or try to put myself in the thoughts of that man as he sat down on those steps, dressed up in his suit, and he sat there waiting and thinking about what's it going to be like to drown. 
that, that's a terrible thought. And that would, would that not just wrench your soul? What's it going to be like? In a, in a matter of moments, I'm going to be in 28 degree water and I'm going to take that into my lungs and I'm going to die. Can't imagine those facing that kind of a scenario. But what's worse than that is I can't imagine facing God knowing that I didn't get out of sin. And now I, have, I, I face an eternal torment, a separation from God uh, in a devil's hell. And there's no hope, there's no rest, there's no relief, there's no pity, and it's forever. How sick would that make you? I'm just simply saying, if you're in a sinking ship today, get out before it's too late. I'm thankful that many of you have already gotten out. And I'm thankful that some of you got out really early on. You saw the peril of your situation, and you turned to Jesus, and you accepted what he was willing to do for you. You obeyed him and met his terms of pardon, and you are safe because of it. You are saved from that destiny. There are others who might have waited a little longer. There may be some here today who are still waiting and cutting it too close. Every day we live, we're closer to the return of Jesus. And if that's still far off into the future, your demise is not. At the best, how, how long do all of us have? The day's coming when you're going to leave this world. You better be out of sin before that comes. Why not today make the decision to get out while you can? And if you don't, you may share the fate of those, a worse fate than those who were on the Titanic, resigned to face death, to face God unprepared, nothing you can do, no one can save you, all hope is lost. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Get out of sin while you can. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you. If you're hanging on to whatever it is in the world and you haven't let go, you haven't abandoned ship yet, you weigh your decision in light of meeting Jesus. It's not worth it. If you need to come out, get out while there's still time, we invite you to come to the front and we'll meet your needs as we stand together and sing.